you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Father, thank you for the word that you've given to us tonight, Lord. Um, Thank you that it is uh, clear in what it is saying. And Lord, would you be supporting us and with us and and really aligning our hearts with yours tonight in terms of the resource that you give us, Lord. God, would you show us what it is to, to be wise with our money? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so this passage, right, it's a pretty clear warning against prioritizing wealth, against prioritizing accumulating wealth. In this particular instance, James is talking about a group of people that have caused a whole bunch of injustice, like they've basically stuffed over their employees, they're not paying them their wages, um, and just causing heaps of dramas because they've prioritized the wealth, they've taken advantage of these workers. And the people that James is specifically talking about are possibly not actually believers. Lots of the other segments in James, like brothers and sisters, which means he's directly talking to Christians, talking to the um, group of Christians in that community. But he doesn't say that these people are Christians. It's more a demonstration of the dangers and the outcome of worldliness, right? It's a demonstration of what can happen when we prioritize money. And he's using pretty clear and strong language. It's pretty strong language when he talks about weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your flesh will be eaten like fire. Like, it's pretty strong and it's pretty clear um, what he is trying to say. But I think the question is that most of us aren't, like, first century Israelis who are stuffing over their workers, right? Like, most of us are not in that position. And so we kind of have the question, how does that actually relate to us here in New Zealand in the time that we're in and with the amount of money that we have? And I think there's a number of clues that um, on any given Sunday night, we'll look at a couple of verses, right? But most of the books in the Bible are actually written as like one coherent whole thing. And so we'll look at six verses, but actually the best way to understand it is to look at the right, read the entire book and see what links up. And I think if we look at something that we talked about a few weeks ago, slightly earlier on in the book, in James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, it says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, in inverted commas, does not come from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And I think today's passage is really James's case in point. He's like, look what happens when you've prioritized money. You get disorder and evil practice, e.g. these people that I've talked about just now. And so really, I think reading this whole segment helps us understand. And so tonight, we're going to look at lessons from the whole kind of bit of the Bible that James has written this in, and then apply them specifically to money, okay? So as like a real high-level summary of this bit, um, Danny started off a few weeks ago talking about how there's two types of wisdom. There's the wisdom in inverted commas uh, that is not so good, and then there's a true wisdom. And then it goes on in chapter 4, it talks about 
how trusting in this false wisdom has caused people heaps of dramas and just like interrelational conflicts and stuff. And then James basically makes the point that you can't go chasing after the things of the world and after God. You have to choose. Like you can't really try and apply both these wisdoms. You can't apply the false wisdom and the true wisdom simultaneously. You have to choose one or the other. And he makes kind of three applications. He says, don't slander, like don't talk smack about your friends um, is the first application. And then last week, Matt Swank talked about don't be making boastful plans and saying you're going to do this and the next thing because actually God's in control and you don't know what's going to happen. And then the final application of these ideas comes here where it talks about um, our wealth and sussing out our wealth. And so we're going to apply these ideas specifically to money tonight. And I think the question that we're confronted with is this. What is it that shapes your view around money? Is it wisdom in inverted commas or is it wisdom without the inverted commas? What is it that shapes your view around money? And James gave us like a rundown of these two wisdoms. It says, and this is out of chapter three, it says, the false wisdom is harboring bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Such wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. But he gives us a picture of real wisdom as well. It says, wisdom is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. And I think the interesting thing about most of these like genuine wise qualities is how many of them are like outward looking. Like you can't do many of these qualities totally individually and by yourself, right? Like you can be pure by yourself, but to be peace loving, you kind of like need someone else or there needs to be another party to have peace with. You need to be considerate of someone else. You need to be submissive to something else and to be full of mercy is how you relate to people. And it's funny how many of the wisdom characteristics you can't do totally by yourself. They're outward looking, where the false wisdom ones are inward looking and all about us. We've really got a selfish wisdom and a selfless wisdom. And I think the biggest risk that we're confronted with, really, is attempting to mix both of these wisdoms and getting the best of both worlds. Like, I think that's really the biggest risk, is that we know we can borrow a little bit of the real wisdom in our money, but we also try to slide in underneath some of the selfish wisdom and just, like, maximize what we can, just wring out as much as we can of both wisdoms. But there's a pretty clear thing tonight that that's just not really an option. So we're going to look at that a little bit. What is it that shapes your perspective of money? Is it wisdom or false wisdom? And we talked about a little bit over the last couple of weeks some of the consequences of applying this false wisdom. But in terms of our money, one of the biggest things on the next slide is that we get a lack of peace. You know, we know that comparison and selfishness acts act as a barrier to peace internally. Like in terms of your inner peace, if you're comparing yourself and you're selfish, you're never going to find that inner peace that you're looking for. And in terms of like how we relate to people, that wherever, there's, um, wherever we're desiring and coveting things, it leads to conflict. They talked about that in James uh, chapter 4. Um, and then again, James talked tonight about how we're at the disorder and evil practice, where we take on this false wisdom, and we saw that injustice was caused by people chasing money. But I think one of the kind of underlying biggest consequence of applying this false wisdom is that really when we chase after the things of the world, when we have a love of or a reliance on, and by reliance on I mean in terms of like your sense of security and importance is that that's dependent on money. If we've got a love on, love of or a reliance on or our identity is in money, it can steal our focus causing spiritual apathy and disconnection. 
and you might have experienced this in terms of um, money, or you might have experienced it in terms of any other sin or idol. But just like reflecting on this passage the last couple of weeks, I've just been like realizing like, I've been over-orientated around money probably for the last couple of years. Like if we're just calling a spade a spade, like this is like the passage for me. I don't know um, if any of you guys are like, on sharesies or anything like that, but I've like gone and fully stuck into it, eh? And like, um, it's just I've gone like slightly too far. Um, I'm probably checking it like at least once a day, which is like not, literally no wisdom suggests you do that. Even the money people say don't do that. Um, <laughs> but you know, like, I'm just spending like way too much time like investing thought and energy into my money. Like we have a system where we'll be generous with X percent and then there's a leftover amount, right? And so the giveaway percent comes first, but then the rest of it, I'm just being like trying to maximize that as much as I can. And it's just like I've noticed that the consequence is this disconnection. Whenever we are investing into sin or bad habits, we get disconnection from God and just a general kind of spiritual malaise and and, and a lower just fruit of the Spirit as well. Like fruit of the Spirit is just what you get when you hang out with the Spirit and it just disappears when you're, when you're focused on the wrong things. And I've just been noticing, like, God talks so much about uh, the kingdom of God, right? Like, if you read the Gospels, God talks about, uh, Jesus talks about uh, the kingdom of God. And one of our roles as disciples and as apprentices of Jesus is ushering the kingdom of God. But I've been investing this time into ushering in the kingdom of myself. And I'm just, like, reading this passage, and I'm like, this is talking about me. Like, I could say I don't have all that much money, but, like, I actually need to suss this out. And it's interesting when you look at your justifications for, for sin, right? And I was looking at this, and that one of the biggest justifications of this is that I could pass off my time trying to suss out our money as wisdom. Like, I could do that if I wanted to. I can, like, read blogs and they like, you know, don't be stupid. Don't waste your money. Make sure you're doing the right thing with your money. And I think there's a time and place for genuinely being wise with your money. But I've taken that too far because it's been orientated around, around me and not what God wants to do with that. And I think the other justification is that you can bring pride into it because you're like, well, I might be doing a lot with my money, but at least I'm giving away more than most other people probably. And so you just like mess it up with pride and these different justifications. But, and then so I'm like, man, this is so for me. And you might have experienced that sort of thing with your money or another kind of sin or idol. But I suspect a lot of you know kind of a little bit what uh, I am talking about in one way or another. Uh, fortunately, James suggests a response for us to these issues. James says in four, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 to 8, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. True wisdom in our finances looks like submission to God and his priorities. And it's just looking at kind of the end of that, that verse of chapter 8. It says, uh, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great if Jesus talked specifically about this principle uh, with our money? And then it turns out he did. Uh, so if we go to the next slide, we've got the whole purify your hearts, you double-minded. And if you look in Matthew 6, verses 24, this is Jesus. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And as I said, one of the biggest risks, I think, to us in the Western world with this is that we try to live in this gray area between both wisdoms and extract the best out of it that we can. Like, we're like, man, I don't love God. I, don't, I love God. I don't love money, but I love God, and I do like money. Like, that's where I think we can find that we're at. But the theme in James and that Jesus says is pretty clear. James also said slightly earlier on that you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You know, like lots of us agree to some extent, depending on what we feel like with the idea of the kingdom of God, but we also probably like the idea of our own little sub-kingdoms that sit somewhere underneath, which is my money, my house, my work, my friends, my church, my ministry, my rati rati ra, whatever else we want to take ownership and control of. We've got these little sub-kingdoms, and the consequence of compromise, of mixing these two wisdoms, is that I think you end up with like this herbal tea Christianity, right? Which like smells great, looks kind of like the right thing, and then tastes like a puddle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we can pass this off. If anyone's looking at this from the outside or smelling this thing, you're like, yeah, I think that's going good. And then you taste it, and there's just nothing there. <laughs> so disappointing. You know, like the berry smells like, wow, that taste smells like a lolly. This is going to be good. And then it's like, oh, this is just dirty water. <laughs> Jesus uses similar imagery about salt and food, right? He's like, if your food is unsalted, it's going to be bland and unremarkable and just a bit of a waste of time. And I think when we mix these two wisdoms, when we try to get the best of both worlds, we end up with a Christianity that's totally undifferentiated and not that powerful. And it's a pretty clear thing that we can't do both. We have to choose. And so what does this look like? We're going to hang out just for a little bit for the rest of this in Matthew chapter 6 in the words of Jesus. And there's a couple of key ideas in here about the money. What do we do? How, what is it wisdom to do, act with wisdom with our money? In Matthew 6, 19, 21, Jesus said this. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Store up treasure in heaven. It's interesting that James uses the exact same language as what Jesus uses when he's talking about this, right? Because James said, your wealth has rotten and moths have eaten your clothes, which is really similar to what Jesus said. But the point that he's making is that worldly wealth is totally insecure and deceitful about the actual difference it will make in our lives. Worldly wealth is totally insecure and deceitful about the difference it will make in our lives. So store up treasure in heaven where it is secure, I thought the other interesting note on this particular one was that, our according to Jesus, which is usually generally reliable, our treasure directs our hearts. Like it might be kind of a back and forth, but Jesus says our treasure directs our hearts. So our hearts are drawn to what towards what we value. I would have generally thought that what we value is determined by our hearts. But Jesus makes this reverse link. He says, your hearts will be drawn towards what you value. Where is it that your true treasure is? Is it eternal? Is it in heaven? Or is it stuff down here? 
what is it that your heart is drawn towards? What is it that you spend your time and your energy investing into and working out and thinking through? What would you sense the biggest loss from if it was to disappear? So store up treasure in heaven. And the second kind of theme that Jesus gives us on money is that we can trust God to provide for what we need. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, add by worrying, add a single hour to your life? A bit later he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I think so. this is saying, like, in a material sense, you can trust God to provide what you need in terms of food, shelter, and clothing. But I think most of us are generally not so worried about not having the material things that we need, but we're still orientated around money. Like, most of us are not worried about making sure we've got wheat bix in the morning, but the sort of things that we are worried about that we don't necessarily trust God in is that a lot of us have this need for a sense of security. We don't want to be reliant on other people. We don't want to give over control. We don't want to be dependent on circumstances uh, going the right way or on, you know, like something bad happening and us not being in a good place. We want to retain, maintain security and control. And the other thing for some of us is that ident- uh, money can be quite an identity thing, right? Like we find personal value in the fact that we've got a lot or more than others, or that we can handle money better than others. Like That is a big part of some of our identity. And I think Jesus is saying, you can trust God not only to provide the material things that you need, but to provide you with an identity that's better than having more than someone. And you can trust God to provide you with the security that you need. We can trust God. So wisdom is seeking the kingdom of God in decisions rather than seeking our own kingdoms and trusting God to provide for what we need as he's promised. I don't think he promises us what we want when he does promise us what we need when we seek first his kingdom. Our final idea on, on submission to God, particularly in our money, but also across the board with submission. I think sometimes when we look at the the commands and what's in the Bible and what God is telling us, we think God tells us to do something as like some sort of power flex or just like some arbitrary restriction that God puts on us to develop discipline or like just to show off that he can tell us what to do and we just have to suck it up. But, and yeah, I've felt this as well, but when you step back and think about it, like, We believe that God has perfect information. He has perfect knowledge. He has perfect intentions. He knows what's best for us. He knows what, how we're designed. He knows exactly what's going to happen and exactly how things work, far beyond what we could ever know. And then we read stuff in the Bible and we think, yeah, I don't really like that. Like, I'm not sure about that one, God. Like, I know you say seek first the kingdom of God, but I've read this stuff article about house prices are just going through the roof. And so... Have you thought about that? And then God's like not going to make an amendment to that because house prices are going up. You know, it's like seek first your house and then after that we'll seek first the kingdom of God. Like he knows exactly what the situation is. And then he says, I love you heaps. I designed you. I know how you worked. This is what I'm suggesting that you're going to do. 
And any time we kind of set ourselves up against the wisdom of God, the rubber is going to hit the road at some point. And so it's just setting ourselves up for a win when we say, okay, God, I trust you. I'm going to do what you say, even though I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to afford X, Y, Z or how the scenario is going to look like. But I'm trusting you. I'm submitting to you with my resource, with my money. I want to finish tonight with a story about a coin. Um, and the band can come up. We're pretty much done. There's a, there's a pretty cool passage in, in most of the Gospels um, about these group of people that come up to Jesus and they, basic, they ask him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, right? So Caesar is the Roman emperor and Rome occupied Israel at the time of Jesus. So they come up to Jesus and they say, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Jesus? Now these guys are not actually interested in a genuine answer. They're just trying to get Jesus to say something so that they can cancel him, right? They're trying to bait him into saying something that will get him, get him into trouble. That's like countercultural enough that enough people will say, that's not right, and then be against Jesus sort of thing. So they say, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? And so Jesus says, well, bring me a coin. Show me a coin. And so they bring this coin. This is not a Roman coin. It's a New Zealand coin. Uh, but on the screen is a Roman coin. And Jesus says, show me the coin. Whose image is this coin in? And whose face, whose inscription is on the coin? And they say, well, Caesar. And Jesus says, okay. So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give back to God what is God's. And I always thought this was like a brilliant checkmate answer, right? Because the, I was like, well, I mean, yes, in a material sense, the money is kind of Caesar's, like he issued it, and he kind of does have the power on earth. But um, like literally everything is God, like God's God created everything. And so I was like, always like, well, it's basically just saying, yes, pay your taxes, but everything is God's, like nothing is actually yours. And then I kind of think like, why does Jesus emphasize the showing to him of the coin. He says, let me see this coin. Whose face is on this coin? Whose inscription is this in? And there's Caesar's face on the coin. So, okay, so this coin is made in the image of Caesar. So we give that to Caesar. And you flip that and say, okay, whose image are you made in? God's. The thing is, God doesn't need your resource. He's not dependent on our finance to do what he wants to do. Sometimes he likes to use us and, and you know, use our generosity to, to bless people and, and make the world uh, a slightly better place. But he's not dependent on, on our money. Like he breathes stars into the sky and just like kind of does whatever he wants. He doesn't, can't afford to do stuff because we're not giving him our money. He doesn't need our resource, but he does want your heart. He does want our hearts. And submitting to God, we, we act with wisdom and we kind of suffocate the attraction of money which competes with God for our hearts. We smother the, the pull and the draw of money when we submit to God. You know, God loves us and cares for us and he wants us to be with him. He wants to remove any barriers between us and himself. That's the whole reason Jesus came was to remove the barrier of sin that separates us from God. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the consequences of sin with himself so that that doesn't separate us from God, that we can be with God eternally. And yet on earth, in our time on earth, there remains things that can be a barrier between us and God. And there's a whole bunch of different idols that we can set up above God, but money is a key one of them. And when he says, submit to me and don't submit to money, he wants us to be near with him. We'll always have 
the opportunity to submit ourselves to money. There's always going to be false promises in money that seem attractive, that seem appealing, but most of us know with our heads but not with our hearts that the promises of money are pretty empty. There's always going to be someone with more. There's always going to be a better thing that we want. We know with our heads but not with our hearts that money is not going to bring the contentment that we want it to. The promises of money are false. But God wants your heart and the promises of God are true. He says, submit to me and I will give you peace. Put your wants and needs, put your wants below what I want for you and I will give you life to the full. I will give you everything materially that you need, if not what you want, if you trust in me. So are we going to submit to this false wisdom and submit to money or submit to God and experience uh, the benefits of true wisdoms in our life? And so today has been more of a heart check. However, I think there is probably a practical response for a lot of us. There probably is a practical response that may be pretty different for a lot of us depending on circumstances and where you're at. But I encourage you this week at some stage to read Matthew 6, uh, which is the passage that we've looked at quite a lot tonight. Read Matthew 6 and pray, God, what is it that you have for me at the moment? And then I've got three questions that I want us just to reflect on for a minute or two before the band gets going. Question number one is this, and this might be more the question for you if you don't really have a relationship with, with Jesus yet, if you don't really know who God is, if you're just in the unsure space, like this question might be for you and the real answer might be no, and it's something for you to think about. Are you willing to submit your resources to God and his priorities over your own? Second question, what do you truly view as your treasure? And where is it stored? What is it that truly you view as your treasure? And where is it stored? And question three, in all of your financial decisions, do you seek first the kingdom of God or your own kingdom? In all your financial decisions, do you seek first the kingdom of God or your own kingdom? Okay, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll have a little bit of space just to reflect and then the band will get into it. God, thank you for the word that you've given to us tonight, Lord. Thankful for the truth that, that is in your word. God, we know that we live in, in a foreign environment where uh, the wants of culture and of people do not necessarily line up with, with what you want. And there's huge challenge in that, Lord. But would you give us clarity as to what you are telling us about money, about our resource, about our finance tonight, Lord? Would we be making decisions that, that look to seek your kingdom first? God, and would you be encouraging us to trust you in, in providing everything that we need? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got three questions. Where are you at with, with these things? We'll have a couple minutes and then the band will get going.